Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... Black and white, night and day, the story of Newcastle's astounding turnaround. Stavely and Gadusi, expectation management is not their MO. And the march to safety, the big boys are on the horizon. Yes, hello, I am Taylor Payne, this is Pod on the Tyne, and as always I'm joined by our Newcastle United correspondent Chris Woff, and our senior writer George Cocken, and chaps I think it's safe to say, we're all getting a bit giddy aren't we, this is silly now, we're going to have to just settle down a bit, we keep winning football matches, what's going on Chris? I've just got this recurring noise that's going through my head and it's sort of to the tune of uh, Oasis's uh, She's Electric and it's just, it, I'm not going to sing because everyone heard that the other week but it's just, it involves... Please don't. <laughs> it just, it just, it involves a certain Brazilian and, and 40 million and uh, and yeah, just just that that continuously for 10 minutes during Amazing. the game on, on Saturday and then for about four hours on the on the train on the way home as well. So, but no, brilliant. <laughs> and, and it's just wonderful to see supporters having something to celebrate on the way back from those matches um and yeah just bizarre that we're sitting here seven games un- seven on, games man? unbeaten four wins in the last five a, a completely dominant display which we'll get on to but yeah just absolutely wonderful at the moment it's great isn't it? george man what's going on what the hell is this well i've I'm I'm just a winner. Just, just, <laughs> just one of life's just winners, winning. aren't you, George? That's what I'm it just is. winning. I'm just winning. That's what I'm doing at the moment. Just winning, winning. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm quite blasé about it. Just wake up, you know, get up. Newcastle win, win a game, win another game, keep on winning. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's cool. It's cool. It's all cool with me. It's all cool with me. It's going to take some getting used to this new way of life, isn't it? I can't get my head around it. I have to be honest. I can't. I can't get my head around starting the podcast with a big stupid smile on my face every week. But it keeps happening, and we're just going to have to ride it while it's here, aren't we? Anyway, we're going to get to that Brentford game and all the rest of the week's talking points in just a minute. But before we do that, I've got just enough time to tell you about the Athletics' latest offer. You can subscribe to The Athletic right now and get your first six months at just £1 a month. What a bargain that is. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Uh, and of course, you'll get full access to all the great writing, analysis and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up for six months at just £1 a month right now. What the hell are you waiting for? Get it done. So, chaps, Saturday saw United back in the capital for a pivotal clash against Brentford and also without three of our best players. Uh, But it has to be uh, said, this squad has belief again uh, and a comfortable 2-0 win makes it 13 points from a possible 15. Unbeaten in February and up to 14th in the table. Excuse me, Chris Woff, while I hide my erection. (laughs) Oh, God, that... (laughs) Wow, that was that was a, a strange turn. Please do continue to hide your erection as we are actually on camera. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, but only from um, the you know you can't see me from us, the chest down, so you're fine. No, thankfully, thankfully. <laughs> uh, right, I suppose you do want me oh, to actually man. respond to that, which I don't really know how to now. Yes, but, no, but it was. I was at the the Brentford Community Stadium on Saturday for the the win, and just 
wonderful that Newcastle win control almost throughout. I mean, obviously the big talking point was was the red card, and for the first ten minutes, and it's hard to analyse just ten minutes. But for the first ten minutes, actually Brentford started quite well, and I thought that Dan Byrne in particular yeah. looked a little bit uncomfortable for the first time in a Newcastle shirt, and Buemo gave him a little bit of a, a run around early on. And it was sort of fairly even until until the red card, which was, in my opinion, a, a definitely a definite red card. It wasn't. I don't think it was deliberate, but it was reckless. And no, it is a red, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, all day. And it was it was from that point right. How did Newcastle manage this? And they obviously didn't have Alan Saint Maxima, no Callum Wilson, no Kieran Trippier. They're going to face ten men for the best part of eighty minutes. But how do they how do they win this game? How do they actually make sure that they make that man advantage count? And they ruthlessly exploited Brentford, who I have to be honest, were woeful. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I don't know if this came through on TV or when people watch the highlights, but at the stadium, what what was what astounded me was it was the first time Jay Harris of Brentford reports there, the first time all season Brentford have played with a back four in any game. And he didn't then shift to a back five when they went a man down. And so what Newcastle did was just attack the width. And it was fascinating to hear Joe Willock after the game basically yeah. say Eddie Howe in training has practiced for this scenario. When this scenario happens, if 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 the opposition go a man down, we have to get the ball out wide and then make advantage of it. And that's what they did. And particularly on the left-hand side, Ryan Fraser and Matt Target were, were exceptional, albeit they were given the entire run of that side because they were up against a centre-back who was playing at right-back. But still, Newcastle had to take advantage of it, and they did. And they, they were patient, they kept putting balls in the box and eventually got the first goal. And then from that point on, I mean, they should have been about 4-0 up by half-time. The keeper yeah. was sublime. Yeah. And then second half, they just managed the game and saw it out and made sure they got through. So, uh, no, but absolutely excellent performance all round. It's a good, a really good performance in the situation. It's a massive three points as well, isn't it, George? It's huge. Oh, it's enormous, yeah. I mean, can, can we keep saying that they're without their three best players? I mean, if they carry on getting results like this? I mean, I know that's a sort of slightly... You can probably say three uh, first-choice so, players, couldn't you? But Yeah, and, and with, you know, let's think about what they did in January and who was actually playing on the pitch at the moment. I mean, that's another thing. Bruno on the bench still. I know he came on... Uh, a bit earlier in this in this match, you know that they're 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 doing it. It's it's a it's a whole squad thing. It's a whole team thing. I think that's the thing that's that's really pleasing to me is that you know yeah for so long we've told ourselves. I mean with the evidence there that they can't win a game without Wilson, can't win a game without Saint Maxima, um, and they're doing it without them, without Trippier, with Guimarães still on the bench. And it's just fantastic seeing the team play like a team and play like a squad. And as you say, it is a massive, it's a massive victory. The The three points are huge, obviously. But what Newcastle have done now, they've got teams below them. They've got six teams below them. And, I mean, it sounds stupid because one thing leads to another. But that, that is the, that's almost the most important thing about what this recent form, you know, run of form has done. It's not just got them more points. It's got them above six other teams, which means those other teams or some of those other teams have to get back above them. And so, yeah, just very good. And, you know, it's just kind of at the moment, week in, week out, they're sort of confounding the fear that naturally comes to me. It's like, oh, God, this will be the week that goes wrong. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, this player's out or that player's out or, oh, they've had a man sent off. So, you know, you know, there's no way Newcastle will get through. Anyway, it's just... Yeah, it's just brilliant. It's nice to feel like there is a, a plan in place for every eventuality that that happens in a game. The the game management is is something uh, which we've lacked for a long time, and it feels like now they are kind of ready for whatever the game throws at them. And the, we talked about them being canny last week when they were clever against Villa and 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 doing the horrible things and putting in nasty tackles and you know breaking up play and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and this time they had to change the way they were playing to play against ten men. And and you know you've got to you've got to take your hat off to Eddie Howe and his team. They've 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 worked wonders. We want to make a couple of comparisons here. And the first one we want to make is the the difference between the Brentford game at home and the away match as well. And you know it, like chalk and cheese. The let's be honest, the Brentford game at home was just completely uncontrollable nonsense, wasn't it? And there were goals flying in left, right, and centre. Newcastle couldn't defend. Brentford couldn't defend. And then the game, the game at the weekend, just it's night and day, isn't it, Chris? It's like 
what a difference a month's make. Yeah, I mean, months, but I mean, almost two comparisons. So first of all, if we go back to last season, F- uh, League Cup quarterfinal away at Brentford, yeah. Newcastle go there. Again, Brentford at the time, yes, doing well, but championship side, Newcastle put out the strongest team and get absolutely blown away, did, lose yeah. 2-0. Then this year... Uh, you're back in November. Eddie Howe's first game in charge. Obviously, he's not actually on the bench because he gets COVID on the night of the match. But the game was just so open. It was chaotic. And at that point, I think a lot of us, and I admit I was part of this, thought that the, the way Eddie Howe is going to be, he's going to try and make Newcastle attack. You look at what he did at Bournemouth most of the time, conceding 60-plus goals every single season now in the Premier League. What he will try mm. and do is he'll try and make Newcastle better offensively. And instead, after a few weeks, what he did was he shifted and he shifted to this 4-3-3 formation. Partly by chance, they discovered that Joe Linton could be a box-to-box midfielder of very high quality, at least in recent moment time, because he was forced to play there. And we have to say thank you to Kieran Clark for that, (laughs) because if he hadn't got himself sent off against Norwich, we would never have known that Angelo Cante was waiting to be unleashed. Well, actually, actually my brother made made this point yesterday. He said, when you look back at the end of the season, if Newcastle survived, if you look at the turning points in the season, actually, that is one of them, in a positive sense. It it seemed massively negative at the time. They didn't win that game. But the discovery of Joe Linton. so, So, yeah, so they get to that stage, and then... He works on this 4-3-3, and what he's done is he's, he's drilled them, and he's got them playing, which he admits is not the way he necessarily wants to play long-term, but Newcastle are so hard to beat now. They've gone from a team who last year, in the calendar year of 2021, conceded 80 Premier League goals, the most in a calendar year in Premier League history, to they've only conceded three so far this this year, which is the least in the Premier League, and I think it's the joint least in, in the Football League as well, so far in this calendar year. And you could see, as you say, that they had a plan. And what was impressive about the plan that they had and the way and structured way that Howe wanted to play on Saturday was they actually prepared for Brentford to play with that back five, which they usually play with. And they managed to adjust, first of all, to that and then to the fact they were playing against 10 men as well. So he's also got them not only playing in a certain way, but also being able to... It's not the strict parameters that you have to play this way, there's no change. It's to think on your feet, to work, to problem solve and work through these problems. And they did that. And he, he switched... The wingers, so the week before, Ryan Fraser had been on the right, Jacob Murphy being on the left, he switched them round, and that meant that players could get to the byline, cross balls in, and as I say, I mean, Chris Wood should have probably had a hat-trick, he certainly should have scored at least once, it was very unlucky for one of them where Ryan made it pretty A couple soon. of great saves yeah. from the keeper as well, wasn't there? Yeah. A couple of really good saves, and, yeah. and, and And they were patient, they stuck at it, and I was just, I mean, it was so pleasing for Joe Linton to get the goal, I mean, it's such such oh. a relief, I mean, I've written about a, a real big piece looking at him, but it's just, just someone who... He, he can see how much it means. What what I, what fascinates me about this move into midfield is it's not first of all the fact that it's worked so well in him doing it, but also the fact that he he hasn't complained at any point. He hasn't said, "Look, I'm I'm a no. forward. I should be in a different position." He's shown the humility to I just want to be in this team and I want to give as much as I possibly can. And he's embraced that rule and he loves it. And, and, he, and the way he went and celebrated with the fans, who have, oh, some of brilliant. whom have given him a lot of criticism and understandably so over the course of his first two and a half years at Newcastle. But he's built that relationship with them, and they are now starting to embrace him. And I think it was it was just a, it was a lovely moment yeah. to witness. It's a fantastic moment, George. You have to admit the Jolinaissance is complete, isn't it? The Jolinaissance, the Jolinaissance, however you want <laughs> to pronounce that. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 fabulous. He's um, he's such a great story, such a good story, and but takes his takes his place in the rest of the team. I mean, those stories are everywhere, really. And you you know, Chris. Um, Chris didn't breathe for about three and a half minutes when he was giving his answer there. But um, <laughs> going going back to that Brentford game, the first Brentford game, the three all, I was sure that Newcastle were down after that. I came away from that, you know, seeing Newcastle play much better attacking football, but sort of thinking that okay, no how on the touchline because of COVID, you know, that sort of feeling that the new beginning, yet another chance at a new beginning, had been sort of missed, and that if they couldn't win that sort of game. They were never going to win a game, and it just shows. It just shows how much things have turned, have turned around. It's three three clean sheets in five matches now, and they look solid and they look confident at the back. And whether it's you know talking about good stories everywhere, I know Emil Kraft, for example, has you know has had a lot of stick, but he's he's you know playing his part in a in a good solid team that's winning. Same for Matt Target. I don't think any of us expected him to be the player he was. No, Dan Byrne looks like he's just been there forever. And Shah, again, you know, 
someone who you know we thought might be on his way out has just been has just been superb you can make that sort of story you can tell that sort of story about every player in every single position in the team you know Gillington Shelby Willock all of them I mean that's one of the great things about it it's a proper collective they have properly picked it up haven't they and we, we have to look back at the the league position on February the 6th if we're looking at the start of Feb and Newcastle are sitting second bottom 19th position on 15 points having played 21 games and for all the world they look like a team doomed don't they at that point and the difference now on the 27th 28th of February Newcastle are in 14th place on 25 points having played 25 games and the turnaround is just brilliant I mean is Eddie Howe in for a shout for manager of the month Chris I think he probably deserves to be in the conversation doesn't he yeah I think I think and obviously, I don't necessarily watch every other team as closely, but I think it's difficult to to find an achievement that would that would rank against that. I mean, I know Liverpool are in very good form, but equally, they've been in very good form for for, for most of the season. They're a very good team. But the the turnaround at Newcastle is what needs to be taken into consideration there as well. What Ari Howe inherited, even what the struggles that he had for the first two months in the job, for everything positive off the pitch, the results didn't necessarily follow, and to have got them in this position at a time where they really needed to win, not. Not just because of the way, the way the table was, but if you look beyond the end of March, we know how difficult Newcastle's games are, and if they do, if they don't pick up a decent number of points going into those, then you can't see them getting points from those matches either. So it was a very high pressure situation in Herod. He's also lost some key players over mentioned, so I think he has to be in the conversation. But actually, you would certainly get my. Yeah. I know I'm biased, but I think I think he is manager of the <laughs> month because the position that Newcastle were at the start of February and the position they are now, I think that he has to win it. One of the lovely things, just to, is is slightly something sort of ephemeral in the sense that this is a story about momentum now as well. And it's I spoke to somebody um, on on Friday night who's been sort of around the club for a long time, and and he was saying, you know, that's not something you can necessarily put your finger on. You need that first win to get you there. If we go back to what the mood was like before Leeds, before the Leeds match. It was very edgy, it was twitchy. Everyone's kind of nervous and everyone's worried. But you you look at the team now, they're going into games expecting to win. And it is that thing, expecting to compete, expecting to be part of a team that's going to do, you know, do the simple things right. And it's such an important thing that. And it infects it infects the whole club in a positive way, just just as when they weren't winning infects it in a negative way and so you see all these players who uh who have struggled so much being you know remembering what it's like to win a match and then wanting to do it again and all of them you know Eddie Howe getting buy-in for the ideas he's trying to have and it's yeah it's it's just it's wonderful to see that and it's a, it feels it really feels like a club and a team with momentum now. It really does. And just a couple of those players that we mentioned who who played massive parts in 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 that run of getting all those points together. Ryan Fraser, again, his boundless energy on on Saturday. He just never stopped, did he? And like you say, Chris, he switched wings with Jacob Murphy. And he was putting balls into the box all afternoon. And if you do that. You're going to give us a great chance of scoring some goals, um, and and he was fantastic. I really, really enjoy watching him at the minute. He seems like he's really got the bit between his teeth. Yeah, he, he was sublime, and I think he's leading sort of the energy for Newcastle as well. I think it's infectious what he's what he's bringing. That was one of the things that I couldn't understand from from a Brentford point of view, and what I, I thought that. The, the, the red card, I thought Thomas Frank lost his head and I thought the players lost their head as well because what made no sense whatsoever is it was obvious when Newcastle were having the better of the game and that was out wide and he didn't do anything to react to that. Ryan Fraser had so much room to run into and he completely exploited that. Him and Matt Target down that side, they'd never played together. They played, I think they had one or two training sessions together down that side and yeah. you'd never have known it. The way they linked up, the movement, the overlaps, the underlaps and then, yeah, the, the balls into the box and obviously it was, it was from Fraser's ball that Wood had a couple of chances and then that Joe Linton's goal came from so they they were I thought Fraser you, you can just listen to if you just listen to him after matches and the way that he talks and he doesn't say it explicitly but he basically said strongly implies that beforehand he wasn't enjoying his time in Newcastle which we know he didn't him and the previous yeah. manager it wasn't working out at all he'd had injuries he'd had loss of form he, he I mean, I've written about this at length in, in a piece on the Athletic as well about 
about his transformation. But he is the play, he now looks like the player Newcastle thought they'd signed, and that Eddie Howe had during that 2018-19 season when he had the second highest number of assists in Europe, when he was one of the best attacking players in the Premier League. But it's also what he, as you say, it's what he does off the ball, the ability to press, the ability to really show that intensity. And I just think that that he embodies this Newcastle side at the moment, and and and. As much as they thought they'd miss Alan St. Maximan, having him in his preferred position on the left was was a bonus, and it shows they do have options now. One of the things that Ryan Fraser mentioned was Eddie Howe putting up little motivational messages around the training ground, and I noticed in the photo of the team in the dressing ground dressing room afterwards, they had two uh, little posters on the wall which said "We are United, We are Newcastle," and I thought that was a really nice touch, which I don't think I'd ever seen that before of a, an away team coming in and redecorating the changing rooms. And it's a small thing, but it could make a lot of difference, couldn't it, George? It's a, it's a really nice touch. Yeah, there's been a lot of that, and there's been a lot of that back at the training ground um, in Newcastle as well. They've um, when particularly when Newcastle have have been playing away or when they went on their warm weather training camp to to Saudi. They did a lot of that stuff back home, so um, gradually it's about you know, you know they can't make that they can't make that training ground a wonderful world class bit of infrastructure. They have plans to do that, of course, but they can make the most of what they've got, and that's been part of what they've done done there too, putting those sort of signs up, and yeah, it's like carrying carrying their home with them when they go when they go away. I think that's a I think that's a great touch, and I mean Fraser. I thought Fraser was sensational yeah. um, on Saturday. Exactly that. In terms of momentum, he's a player that has got that momentum now. Looks happy. Looks committed. Looks like he knows what he's supposed to be doing, and he's doing it. And you know, is 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 a proper threat. He is. Um, we did get the chance to see Bruno in a little bit more of an extended appearance. Uh, obviously came on uh, after the red card. So let's say, Chris, the, the pressure was off him a little bit more than it would have been otherwise. He probably could have came on and played in his slippers, carrying a glass of red wine around the pitch with him. He looked so classy, though, when he came on, didn't he? He was instantly wanted the ball, wanted to be part of everything that was going on and a couple of lovely little touches and little balls through and stuff like that. And Oh, I'm excited to see him playing properly and really getting amongst that team as well. But a, a, a lovely cameo again from him. Yeah, and it was a shift of formation he came on for as well. That was the, the, we, we spoke about this. I wrote about it at length last week. Where will Bruno fit in when he comes into the team? And it, it, how shifted it? He basically said, "I want." He could see he wanted to control the game. Brentford had got a bit of momentum in the second half, and particularly when Eriksson came on, they got a, had a bit of a boost. Yeah. So he thought, "Right, we will just we'll control this game. We, we'll make sure we keep the ball." And, and he came on, and I think he had more touches than about half the Newcastle starting eleven. Bruno, when he came on, because he just demanded <laughs> he demanded the ball, as you say, he directs he teammates. There was one point where he got the ball off Emil Kraft, and he basically told him where to go, and he was going to give him it back. And and you can see that's what that's what he's going to bring. And you can see he's always looking to to, to thread. It. The first thing he tried to do was to thread through a ball to Chris Wood. It didn't quite. They weren't quite on the same wavelength, but you can see that's what he's going to bring. Him and Shelby played together in there, and, and yeah, you, you saw a little bit of what what he might bring, and that that greater control, the the more ball that Newcastle have going forward, which is what Eddie Howe eventually wants. He wants to make Newcastle more effective and and help in the transition as well, because he was also someone who was able to to thread balls through and start Newcastle on the counter attack when they did win the ball too. So it was a very it was a very very uh, interesting cameo, and it'll be interesting to see next weekend what uh, what happens I still don't think he's likely to start against Brighton no. but whether he, if he does come on as I expect he would whether he comes on in the same sort of position or whether again it's for, for Willock or like for like in some sort of way in that way it's a lovely problem to have, though, isn't it, George? To have that man sitting on the bench and just waiting for him to get his chance. It's uh, untold le- levels of luxury at the minute. Yeah, and as we said last week, after after West Ham, I mean, he has to he has to bide his time. He has to try and push the other three as much as as much as he can in training. And um, but those other three are doing an absolutely sensational job in in midfield. So. It's a cause of you know to have, as you say, to have to have that competition as a cause of celebration because it's been the absolute opposite for so long at Newcastle. You know, it's like, oh my God, we've got to make do with. I mean, argue, you know, the same players effectively, but we've got to make do with them. That department looks so weak, and now it looks really, really strong. Absolutely. And just before we finish, as well, I have to say, and I think everybody will echo this uh, this sentiment that it, it was lovely to see Christian Eriksen 
back on a football pitch uh, after his cardiac arrest last year during the Euros. Uh, a lovely moment. What's the story? And the guy uh, came on and he made a difference for Brentford, didn't he? When he came on, he actually played some lovely passes through, showed some uh, showed some flashes of the quality that he has. Uh, but I think the entire football world are just grateful to see him out there and playing again. I couldn't agree more. Being being in the stadium, actually, I felt I felt privileged to be there at that moment, and and everyone sort of stopped and applauded him. Newcastle fans uh, were, were amongst them, and just the, the outpouring of emotion at a time where the world is a very difficult place to have that sort of mm. uplifting story of, of human resilience. I thought was wonderful. And Jay Harris, who we had on the podcast last week, has done a, a wonderful piece, sort of looking at Ericsson and what he's had to go through to come back. And so, yeah, what a, what a lovely, lovely story. Fantastic. Check that piece out from Jay Harris. We'll be back in just a moment with some chat from Amanda Stavely and Mia Dad Gadusi. We didn't t- chat about Cher's touch. Oh, we didn't, did we? Oh, I'm still convinced that the defender just saw this beautiful vision of a man running towards him and <laughs> and just just completely lost all concept of what football was and fell in love. And then Cher was beyond him before he knew what was going on. <laughs> what the fuck was he doing there? What was he doing there? I was convinced it was Chris Wood. And then the touch happened and I went, that's not Chris Wood. <laughs> it was but it's also beyond the touch as well. It's the pass about the falling pass with his left it's foot. Brilliant. still. But the, the the when I'm talking about Brentford losing the heads, there's <clears> another example of that was their own set piece, and they just had nobody in the back. It was bizarre. Yeah. It was as if it was as if they were two nil down with five minutes to go, not one nil down in the forty third minute or whatever it was. It was it was it was bizarre. It was really I mean heck of a goal, and the touch is just sensational. But yeah, what oh. a tidy finish that is, by the way. Oh, naughty, right. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, this week, uh, so our very own George Cockin talked to Amanda Stavely. Hello! There he is. You all right? Uh, talked to Amanda Stavely and Maydad Gadusi in an exclusive interview for The Athletic. It's an absolutely fascinating read and a must for all Newcastle fans. Corners talking about the present and the future, a baptism of fire in the transfer window and the changes made to reinvigorate a once zombie club going nowhere. George, we're going to play a couple of clips from the interview as well, but this is the first time since the takeover that Amanda and Mirad have actually sat down with anyone. And how did that come about and how were they? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they've sat down at various points. <laughs> they've just been over constantly the, over standing the past up. Four months. <laughs> actually, having said that, I'm not sure. Maybe they haven't. I mean, it was it was it was a very interesting insight to how busy how busy they've been, particularly over the last couple of months. Amanda saying that. Uh, Various points, there were kind of a couple of days when she she didn't sleep during January because they're away in Saudi and you know with the time difference and so on and so forth, doing calls and deals until three or four in the morning. And uh, I know it was the same for Murdad as well. Um, I suppose it was it's four years in the making, really. Um, I met I met them both the first time when they came up to that Liverpool game in the October of two thousand and seventeen. Said hello then. I interviewed her when her first attempt to buy the club broke down and then obviously have kept in touch and you know have written written bits and bobs for the for the athletic including when the takeover went through but i think she was keen to do something substantive once january was out the way to sort of try and explain uh what they'd done why and and sort of look at what what is going to happen moving forward with a bit of luck and 
Yeah, they were great. I mean, I was there for 90 minutes. I met them in there. I mean, they both spend uh, a few days a week in Newcastle. Mid, I was coming back up later that later that um, later that day or the or the next day. But I met them just after the West Ham game. People will remember if they listened to last week's show. I'd said I was doing an interview or done an interview, and I'd in fact I had just done it, and so I was very excited about it. And yeah, just they talked about everything. So we should probably have a little have a little listen. It's just such a great city. It really is such a lovely city. I have such a, 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 a you know, a, a love for it now. Do you understand you've let the genie out of the bottle there? There's, the, no, there's no putting it back. No, no. There, I, I we guess, just don't want to let anyone there down. Isn't, there isn't. We just, we just need to keep but continue we, we, to deliver we have to and make deliver. the right decisions. I mean, I was thinking, I went to City uh, last week. Uh, I left Newcastle and I travelled over to City just to talk about them um, and to see the train. You know, I wanted to oh, see okay. the training yeah. facility and to see what we could do. And and I and you know I was thinking God I I just can't wait for the guys to get their trophies yeah. I can't wait to be able to deliver what the fans oh, really I can't deserve to say that. I, I, but it but just that's, that's it, what it just, that's, that's what we ultimately want we want success so we have to do that we have to get and 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 also to get you know the real infrastructure right the club yeah. needs to be able to produce but, consistently good young players. It's a bit embarrassing that, but I it because it does you can hear me saying, "Oh, I can't listen to you talk about trophies," because <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's because I told myself yeah. twenty years ago that Newcastle would not win anything in my lifetime. Don't it's get like when, yeah. whenever, whenever one, someone starts talking about it, it's like I almost have to put my fingers in my ears. No, I can't let myself believe that. Sorry, but the I mean the point is that you know they're really not backing down in terms of that stuff. I sort of thought I asked at one point four months down the line I'll give you a chance to sort of recalibrate if you want if you want to take a step back but you know I asked them I asked them again so have a listen have a listen to this bit as a consortium we're so aligned yeah, yeah. we are like a little family yeah uh, and we want to see the best for this club there is no reason why Newcastle in the next five years should not be a Man City or a United or a Liverpool or a Chelsea well so I was going to give you a chance to row back on that if you wanted uh, four months down the line uh, but, but no yeah, but we can't because we, uh, we we've been one actually I, I, I was very grateful to uh, you know some of the other clubs have been very very helpful you yeah. know some some clubs have been r- really interesting and I was talking to the guys at West Ham and they watch you know look, look at the projection of Brighton they're you know, the, we walked into that game and they said, you're not a bottom three club. You, yeah, you, yeah. You, you're here without your three top players. And the, the dramatic change in four months. Oh, and you look at us in six months. Yeah. Now, we don't want to over-promise and, under, uh, and, and under-deliver. So we don't want to say when timelines are going to be, but obviously that's, we're all on, we're all focused. Our ambitions remain the same. Our ambitions remain the same. To win trophies, to be a top six club, Timeline-wise, how long is that going to take? You, we don't know, but we're going to go at, 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 a, at a pace that we can achieve that as, as quickly as possible. But the reality of it is, it may be take a little bit longer. Or yeah. it may be, but sure, our, our, our business plan was, you know, was slower originally, to be frank. And it was only PIF who fell as, as in love with the club as we, we did in the last few months. And so when we got it ahead of that January transfer window, we were determined, determined. And we said, you know, because we thought, can we jump? Can we get, how do we get to where we need to get to as quickly as possible, yeah. but as efficiently and, uh, and as within, possible? You know, financial within fair financial yeah, fair yeah. play. So we did, and they back, you know, they've backed us all the way. I have to admit, I'm, I'm getting slightly, slightly emotional listening to that and listening to people talk, our owners of our club talking about potentially challenging for trophies and, and becoming a top six force and all that. It's it's a novel concept, this talking to your fans, isn't it, Chris? I'm not sure whether it's going to catch on, though. <laughs> yeah, well, quite. And I mean, it's just... <laughs> no, it, it is wonderful. I mean, it, even if you take... As you say, if you, if you remove the substance, which obviously is wonderful, as you say, just that the mere fact that they are doing this interview and they realise it's important to, to speak to fans and that obviously Stavely spoke when the, the first took over the club she then spoke club media in, in november and then to do this at regular intervals to, to be chatting to supporters to be to be open about what they're trying to do going forward it is is brilliant Newcastle, just look at what it, just walk around the city just speak to fans in person or on social media and you can just feel 
a renewed energy about the club. We've spoken about yeah. it so many times, but that they are tapping into that and they were always going to have this goodwill. And I said this at the time, I just don't want them to take that for granted and very much it sounds like they're not and that is what is encouraging here as well. And so, yeah, to hear those words, I mean, the, the, once you get into the substance of it as well, yeah, trophies and Champions League and things like that, it just feels like... It's mind-boggling, but, isn't it? Also, Chris, it's like you, it does make you go back to... Some of those, you know, the Ashley sort of Charnley years and that, you know, what is the ambition? Well, the ambition is to be pound for pound the best we can be and all that. And, you know, Steve Bruce earlier this season is talking about it's my job to keep us ticking over in the Premier League. And, you know, there is, they said it in that clip, you know, there is that danger of sort of over-promising and under-delivering, except that they're, they're conscious of that and they're still, I mean, I know they're not promising, but they're saying that that is the ambition. And... There's nothing wrong with having that ambition. I mean, there is nothing wrong with that that ambition. In fact, it's a fantastic ambition to have. And in other parts of the interview, they talked about they talked about their own positions, because I sort of asked about, okay, once a chief executive comes along and once a sporting director comes along, do they need to be quite as prominent as they are? Do they need to have a asset management role at the club? And their answer to that was, oh no. I mean, as far as they're concerned. They're going nowhere. And the reason I mention that now is because they say if they continue to work as hard as they are at the moment, albeit perhaps on different things, the club can get to where it wants to be quicker. And so there's no taking the foot off the gas. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, again, it's very sort of, um, it feels very unusual to hear your hear your owners talk with that sense of ambition it does doesn't it really Chris is. there was there was a lot of chat in there about January transfers and financial fair play and the summer window too as well wasn't there it's interesting to hear directly from the owner and and actually naming some of the players that they're interested in uh, in buying and players they want to come to the club it's really uh, fascinating to listen to that it is and um, I mean George and I are, are doing a mailbag from supporters uh, and, and subscribers over the course of, of the next few days and a few people have, have raised both positive and negative comments about that saying why that why they're mentioning specific names and it is an unusual tactic of doing it but I think it's also for them to show that these are that this is the quality of player we were going for and this is and, and basically that again that openness maybe too much openness some, some would argue I was speaking to an official at a, at a, at a, at a in a, a different Premier League club last week, and they were they were sort of saying they're surprised by how open the new orders have been. But given that the lack of openness previously, and given what Newcastle fans have been devoid of, to be able to have that engagement, to to be able to speak to them about that is is is, is great to see. And I mean, let's be honest, it was an open secret who they were going for anyway. So I I know it's different when an owner actually confirms that, or one of the leadership group confirms that. But it was an open secret that they were they were trying to sign those players. We knew we knew they were trying to sign those players, and that's the quality of player they're going to want going forward, or you know, even higher. I mean, that's what when people say, "Are oh, they going to sign Sven Botman in the summer? Are they going to go back for for Jesse Lingard?" They, they these players are still on the list, but obviously, first of all, Newcastle haven't survived yet. But once they do, this obviously bringing in Dan Ashworth and the like. But also, will Newcastle's ambitions have, have have moved on in the summer as well in terms of the players they think they can get? That was the quality of player they thought they could get in January. But you've just let, you've just heard what the owners have said is the ambition going forward. So. Sven Botman was seen as someone who can grow with the club and become that, but maybe in the summer it they decide it could be someone else or he proves it unattainable. So it was it was unusual to hear an owner speak about that, but it was also refreshing in, in a strange sort of way to also hear that. Absolutely. And and just very, very briefly on the Botman one, I mean she did say, you know, he he wanted to come and and still does and has spoken about that. I think that's the key thing that that Botman has actually given an interview in which she talked about Newcastle's interest. And the club club itself has done the same thing. So I don't. I mean, I think that's, I think that's fair game. I don't, and I don't think she was saying anything untoward there. I think she was saying that he's talked openly about about Newcastle and the approach that was made in the January. George, they talked at length about Eddie Howe as well, and and the long term, didn't they? The, the the quote that jumped out to me was the they could see him being our Alex Ferguson or being the next Alex Ferguson, which is you know that's 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 weighty stuff, isn't it? That's lofty ambitions, but yes. It's I mean, that's again. That's it's a that's a very very bold. You know, that's a very bold thing to say. They said they would love him to be, and of course, you. I mean, there's no reason why they wouldn't love him to be because if if anybody emulates Alex Ferguson's tenure, then that means he's been incredibly successful. Well, so yeah. that's not a bad. Again, it's not a bad ambition to have. I mean, it feels to me like there are a couple of 
you know, still big months ahead of Eddie Howe and um, and the team, and they have to get through this. They have to get through this uh, season. But no, they said, you know, they want they want and hope and think he can be a long term uh, appointment. And they spoke again very openly about um, Unai Emery, saying that in retrospect they think that probably wouldn't have been the right decision because although he had a great CV and has done you know done great things in the game at Newcastle he would have been having to do it without infrastructure without infrastructure around him without without you know world class infrastructure around him Eddie Howe has kind of already has you know has already built a club at Bournemouth and they were saying it was sort of the opposite could he do it with more resource um, so anyway, and they, you know, they love what he's done so far. They love the detail that he's shown, and and the sort of team building he's done. They're all in it together. That's the other nice thing that they they don't. It, it's not sort of like an us and them situation. It's everybody in it together, working together, and they're all working together at the very start of something, which must be, you know, which must feel very very special. For Just them. on the Alex Ferguson point, I was obviously at Brentford and, and after the game, with the post-match press conference over Zoom, uh, Eddie Howe was asked about it and at that point I sort of, I couldn't help but smirk on the face because obviously it'd be George's interview that morning and thinking he's going to be asked about this. And he gave the most Eddie Howe-esque answer to a question I've ever heard, <laughs> which was just, I mean, he was, he, his whole message on Saturday anyway after the game was no complacency, you know, we still have to go high up the table. And then he basically just said, he just said, it's very nice of them to say, but no, my mentality is I've just got to keep going, look forward to every match, focus on the here and now. I mean, what else can he say really? But it was just, it was just <laughs> very, very Eddie Howe-esque and terms if he wasn't going to deviate and be, and be caught off on something like that although he did say it was very nice of him to say brilliant stuff and uh, george you asked me dad about st james's park as well and there's been a bit of chat about this recently on social media uh, and whether the owners would consider moving stadiums um and, and it, it, he gives an interesting answer to this doesn't he i mean we've got a little clip here we'll have a little listen to the answer uh st james's park is unique and uh we we're not looking at building a new stadium I, th- I think one of the one of the biggest credits to, to Newcastle is having St James's Park there. It's, you know, it's the, the the cathedral of the city. It's there, sitting on top of the hill. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it special. Now, can we expand it? We'll definitely look at expanding it, and we'll work with the city and we'll work with the uh, uh, with the council to see what we can do and what we can't do. I think that's going to take a little bit of time. There's a lot of things that need to happen before we're at a stage where we can look at expanding the, the stadium. But ultimately, that's the way forward. Uh, if we can get it to 60,000 or 65,000, amazing. And we look at every possibility of how we can do that. Uh, are we going to go and build a new stadium? No. You know, it's, it'd be like tearing its soul out. Wow. It's it's good to hear that. I mean, I, I I'm I've always been slightly against the idea of of moving away from St James's Park one day, um, and and I I understand what the restrictions are there and stuff like that. But the idea that we could potentially expand in the future is 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 a tantalising one, isn't it, George? Yeah, and it's I'm, you know, I'm old school. I'm old. Uh, I'm an OG, as Chris. You are an Chris OG, would, definitely. OG, old geezer. Old um, that's an in joke. You have to listen back to that's a, an old, a, a old pod joke, podcast yeah. to, to get that. And I was, I was just really thrilled with that answer. I mean, I think you know, perhaps some people would would like to move stadium. I, you know, it's it's home to me. I can't, you know, it it is. I, I think the thing, whether you agree with what he says or not, what I love about that is that that is somebody who does understand it, yeah. the club and totally. uh, and understands the team and understands the clubs and stadiums place in the city and it is what makes Newcastle unique i mean every club is unique but the the positioning of the club right in the middle of the city and you know all those old clichés about it sort of dictating the tempo of the city and the being the pulse of the city it's that is a big big part of it and you know i love the idea of st james's being upgraded and it does need it now no, it, it does, does need it i mean the inside yeah. the inside of the stadium does there's no reason i mean it will cost money so there is reason but you know it will cost a lot of money to do it why but the inside should be beautiful it should feel like home there should be you know there should be outlets selling great local products well, during match it. day and we should you know it shouldn't just be about cleaning the windows it should be about making it 
making it a really beautiful, gleaming place. It still looks so impressive from the outside, but it should be like that on the inside. And, you know, there are ways now that stadiums can be uh, to be improved. They did all those feasibility studies years and years ago, and it looked very, very difficult. But I'm just very pleased that they're going to look at it. And it's, again, it's one of those... The reason I asked that question um, was, as you say, Taylor, there was that sort of little spurt of sort of panic almost on social media at the back end of that week because it was like, well, how are we going to get in? How are people going to get in? You know, what's going to happen to season tickets? And it's it kind of makes me smile because that, of course, is an absolutely lovely problem for the club to have after winning, you know, after sorry, after being sort of unbeaten for a handful of games that people are now sort of panicking about being able to get in in the future. And, you know, it is home to me. I think I think it's... St James is just is just one of those great places. You go there knowing that it's the same stretch of grass that Jackie Milburn played on, that Huey Gallagher played on, that Shearer scored all his goals on. I just love that feeling of eras touching each other. And um, yeah, I love that answer. Tearing your soul out. The Rob Lee Swore Taylor Painter. Yes, the same. <laughs> Rob Lee Swore me. Yeah. <laughs> he did in front of me, children. Yeah, same, same beautiful. Um, for me, 100, 113, 113 bars, pubs and clubs within a one mile radius of the... Uh, of the stadium makes it really good. Funnily enough, George, what you were saying there about it's not just about the capacity and how many people we can, how many bodies we can squash in there to watch football. It's also about making that stadium and making that place somewhere that you want to be. It's it's it needs to be somewhere where match going fans want to spend time. And I'm as a, as a match going fan, I w- always wanted to spend as little time as possible inside of St James's Park under Mike Ashley because it was horrible. It was the the concourse was dark. It was dirty. It was smelly. It was damp. Um, the the bars was was selling substandard uh, beer and food. And I I wanted it to be somewhere. And I've seen in different parts of the of Europe and in different Premier League grounds. You know, I've been to Bayern Munich and watched game there. And and the the match day experience is totally different. And fans want to be inside the stadium from four hours before kickoff. Now. Newcastle fans will want to go to St James's Park and be there for the full day. It should be a day out. We shouldn't want to be streaming out of the stadium five minutes before the final whistle goes to get to the bar across the road so we can have a pint. It should be the place where everybody congregates. Now, I would love to see that. I would love to see them refurbish the inside of the stadium because it's desperately needed it. And it is more than just cleaning the windows. It's going to need a lot of work. But based on what he's saying, based on what the uh, the ownership are talking about, it, it sounds like it's something that they've got up, up their sleeve, that it's something that they're going to try and do. Um, and it's something that I'm really, really excited about. Yeah, she also, I mean, I didn't use this quote, but Amanda, uh, Amanda Stavely also said, I would love, I would love to make it the best stadium in the world. I don't have the time at the moment. I mean, so in other words, there's just, and she said, we have everything to do. It's like, I want to do it now. I want to do it this year. I want to do everything. And of course they can't, um, which is why, which is why, of course, they're they're in the process of sort of making other appointments. Yes, Chris, they 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 mentioned the sporting director as well, new CEO, uh, and the training ground as well. Is there any update on the Dan Ashworth situation at the minute? Well, actually, we are working on a piece at the moment ahead of the weekend because obviously Newcastle are playing Brighton. Um, with our colleague Andy Naylor and, and, and others just looking at Dan Ashworth and, and what, he, what he will bring. I mean, I understand, and this has come from, from the Brighton side, is primarily is that the compensation is still being negotiated, but the Brighton side at least feel that it's still some way apart. And at the moment, he has a long uh, gardening leave still to, still to serve and that Brighton will hold out for, for the money that they want. So that's still in negotiation. I mean, George may know a little bit more, having spoken to Stephen Caduce, obviously they didn't confirm and they didn't say his name, but uh, they did mention that they hope to have some of those uh, executive positions filled soon enough. Yes, and the CEO role is, you know, that they were talking about that as well, how important that will be. Um, and I thought it was very interesting that Amanda talked about not just wanting um, somebody who's been at a Premier League club before and so is used to doing it one way and will c- carry on doing it that way. She said that they want somebody to sort of challenge all aspects of the business that she talked about sort of entering a new digital era or new digital area where there's so much going on. There's other ways of generating resource, albeit wanting, you know, to make sure that whatever Newcastle were selling to their 
uh, fans was the right thing. Um, so they're certainly looking at sort of, I mean, I, you know, our understanding is with that, that they're looking at people inside football, but they've also looked at people um, who've worked in similar positions outside football before. And it's about getting the whole thing right. I mean, the sporting director, uh, when that happens, you know, when, when Donna Ashworth arrives, it's a fascinating one. It's about getting, he says, you know, they also talked about having really good people at the club. It's a way of getting all those things linked together. And of course, a big part of that will come with the training ground too. And um, Murdad actually spoke about doing some of that stuff we talked about earlier, sort of improving it when they could. Um, and they'll look at, in the short term, they'll look at extending it and sort of transforming it and making it, bringing it up to sort of Premier League standard. But they're already looking at um, potential sites and what they want is somewhere where the first team will be, the academy will be, the women's team will be, um, sports science will all be there, they'll all be on the same site. And getting all those bits of the club talking to each other instead of sort of having people... Um, you know, instead of having those sort of separate areas of the club as separate areas of the club, well, they're not. I mean, so you want the academy, you know, you want the academy to see the first team as aspirational. You also want people to be playing in the same sort of way. You want joined up thinking. And that's what sort of Ashworth, that's what Ashworth will do. It's really important that. So um, they said we have a huge amount to do, uh, a huge amount to do. We have a huge amount of people to hire as well. Fantastic stuff. It's exciting and it's fascinating and, and it's a really, really good read. If you get the chance, get yourself on theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to subscribe for just £1 a month for the first six months at the minute and check out George's um, impressive interview with Amanda Stavely and Mia Dead Gadusi. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple of seconds to round things up. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right then, chops. Uh, it's going to be a busy March, isn't it? There's four games uh, in the space of 17 days at the start of March. Brighton, Southampton, Chelsea and Everton. Chris, as far as a points target goes from that little, little lot, it's anyone's guess, isn't it? But the way Newcastle are playing at the minute, you would, you would like to think they could pick up some numbers there. Yeah, well, hopefully they can keep this momentum going and capitalise on, on the positive recent form. I mean, th- those fixtures, certainly, I mean, Brighton aren't in great form themselves, whereas early in the season you would have really feared this fiction. Now you go in and Newcastle's record against Brighton in the Premier League is pretty poor as well. Now, haven't I mean, when they went to Brighton, George was obviously there for that game, which was just before Howe was appointed. <laughs> he was watching in the stands and for, for 60 minutes, Newcastle were awful. And at that point, you really did fear for them and obviously that they managed to, to show a fight and, and got a point from it. But the, the progression from that team to where they are now obviously they're playing five at the back at that stage they were struggling to create opportunities defend really well um but go, so going into these matches I th- why wouldn't you ex- hope that Newcastle could go into these matches and and give anyone a, a really good game that's what really is is impressed me about about how I think is it's the way that he speaks as well and the way that he talks is in this is he, he, he recognizes the strengths of the opposition and he changes for that one of the reasons he switched Fraser and Murphy's flanks at the weekend was because of what they'd identified in 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 Brentford and how he wanted to approach that match. But he but he doesn't do that in the sense that that he thinks oh we're just you know we're really worried about the opposition. He 
pragmatically thinks about the opposition, but also says this is how we can impose ourselves on them. We are going into this match to try and win it. If we can't win it, we'll try and get a point from it. And that 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 mentality, I hope, is seeping through into the players. I think you can see that in them. And so I don't think Newcastle will fear any of these games. And that doesn't mean that that, that they're, they're going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination in matches on the road when they go to Southampton, who are a team in, in a lot of form, very good form at the minute themselves. But I do think they can they can keep this run going. I do think that they are just very, very difficult to beat. And a large part of that is because the midfield is functioning so well and it's just so difficult to break down. Absolutely. I mean, for me, the, a, a massive thing is just going into these games with with the confidence that I know we are as well prepared as we can be. And, and you know, we we go up against teams like Southampton and Chelsea and we have a chance because Eddie Howe will get the maximum out of those players that he can. And it feels like Newcastle are, are, are ready to take on anybody at the minute. But, you know, we, we never know with the results. It could go one, could go one way or the other. Uh, George, Howe was, was a bit, um, let's say, upset. Is that the word? About the fixture congestion, though. Uh, the words he, he used were not ideal, no doubt about that. We were, and I've got to choose my words carefully, surprised when we saw the fixture congestion we had, especially with the amount of away games in a very short period of time. It hasn't done Newcastle any favours, that, that congestion, has it? No, and the you know that Thursday, Sunday, Thursday little run is pretty is particularly brutal, and it puts it does you know and and because there are away games, it will sort of change. It will sort of change things. It'll change um, just those little routines that footballers get so used to. It's brutal for supporters, obviously. I mean that's yeah. you know that's the first thing to sort of say. Um, but then you know. It, it's it's that sort of Europa League kind of mentality, isn't it? Um, that Newcastle are going to have to have. The good thing is that the you know they within matches they've had challenges thrown at them. They've had challenges outside of matches in terms of getting big injuries. They've then had challenges within those matches, whether it's something in you know new to deal with, whether it's West Ham taking the lead, whether it's the sending off, and they've risen to those challenges. And the good thing at the moment is that they they do still have players in reserve, um, and you know, Saint Maximin will come back at some point. We hope quite soon. That's great. Bruno's there on the bench. That's great. Those players will be needed in this little run of form. And what we have to hope is that the resilience that is there can carry on because we're not you know Newcastle aren't clear of danger yet. And I think one of the kind of quirks of this season is seeing Norwich, who I think we all thought, you know, I, I made those jokes about, you know, who who would not who would Newcastle ever beat? It would be Norwich. And then, of course, <laughs> Norwich have gone on that good yeah. run of form. Burnley were, you know, have been near the bottom, round the bottom, you know, where where and how can they win? And they've started to win. So, you know, I, I do feel very, very confident at the moment and, you know, not in a complacent way, but just because of the way the team are behaving. But I think... I think that is going to get tested at some point and this run will be will be very interesting in that. It will be. We are going to have to use the squad, Chris, aren't we? And and you would be you would uh, imagine that you would see more of the likes of Bruno uh, and some of the other midfielders as they rotate that midfield in and out and also the, the wide players and the defenders as well. Um, the injuries are going to be key though. Alanson Maximano, do we have any update on his status at the minute? There's, there's been a little bit of... Um, Mm, shall we say uh, social media nonsense this week um, but he was uh, posting photos of himself in Monaco uh, getting specialist treatment um, what's going on with him at the moment? Well I think there was a bit of kidology from Eddie Howe on Friday um, and I think that he's being cute and he's using sort of every advantage that he can going into what are very important games for Newcastle and I think he's trying to keep the opposition guessing that Alan Saint-Maximin might have been involved I think that really it was always highly unlikely from his Friday press conference that um, between then and, and the Saturday 3 o'clock kickoff that Alan Saint-Maximin would feature but obviously Howe came out on Friday and said he was going to make a late call on him Turned out he wasn't even at the team hotel that night. He didn't. Did, he was still in in Monaco doing his doing his rehabilitation. And now how says that the, he actually said admit after the game he wasn't even that close to being available and that maybe he'd be a lot closer by next week. So I think that there's a chance he will be back for for Brighton. 
I think maybe the week, maybe the Southampton game is slightly more realistic in terms of him starting. But I think he could be, he could be in in involved. But what is nice is that it isn't that you look at it and think. I I worried going into Saturday, but when they went down to ten men on Saturday, my concern was without Sam Maximan, are they going to have enough to be able to break down the opposition? Because as much as they've improved under Eddie Howe in recent weeks, I think an attack is where Newcastle probably lacked a little something. But on Saturday, they certainly didn't, and that is that is encouraging that you don't think. Whereas one stage it would be if Alan St. Maximum was out, then Newcastle just have nothing at all. That that isn't the case. Yeah. Um. But he will be a nice it, and and it, as House said after the game, it's a nice problem for him to have. And now St. Maximum has to work to get back into that team. So I think that we will see him over the course of the next ten days. But yeah, I think there was a there was an element at least of of kidology from from Eddie Howe going at the weekend. And George Kieran Trippier, he's obviously going to be out for a little while and we're not going to see him in a playing capacity, but it was lovely to see him actually at the Brentford game with his teammates on his crutches, getting involved in the photographs, helping out on the bench and stuff like that. He's he's just kind of around the team and that's really good, isn't it? He's, he's got such a, such a leader uh, quality about him, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, his... Where he is in terms of his recovery allows him to d- to do that, but yeah, seeing him sort of hobble into the ground and then seeing him there, uh, seeing him there in the pictures afterwards and stuff like that, brilliant. I mean, he's just been, he's been, um, he's been such an incredible addition to the squad. It's gutting not to see him involved. Um, we must say something about the other new addition on the other flank, who's who's been superb as well. Oh, target, Matt Target. I mean, I think. I don't think many of us would have had him in the um, in the sweep, the office sweep for most influential player brought in during January. But he's up there, and again was really, really good at the weekend against Brentford. Has just settled it. You know, he got a big kick as well in that game. That that tackle. yeah, yeah. If that was me yeah. who received that tackle, I'd still be lying there now. You would have just put a blanket over yeah, us. Yeah, I would have yeah. been dead. I mean, none of us doubt that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> There'd not... just been bits of me strewn across across West London. <laughs> but but I think I think I think there was a you know there was a fair bit of confusion when he came in and it led to Jamal Lewis being kept out of the squad. But he's again he's another one of those players who's just settled in and looks like he's been playing there forever. Um, and that's been the nice thing. That's been. So it's just slightly widening out the point you made there about Trippier. But the point is that everybody that's been brought in in January has just fitted so straight into the squad, but has also improved it. So they've 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 been big improvements to the squad. They've lifted everybody around them. They've lifted the team in terms of results, but they've also slotted in beautifully to the sort of mentality and ethos that there's always been around the squad and so it's felt seamless that again is something that um both Amanda Staveley and Murdad Gudusi spoke about in the in- interview that they that they were so uh, that that kind of character was seen as one of the massive things in January bringing in the right kind of people they did all that research i know that i know that um all clubs will say that they do their sort of research but that to me has been one of the sort of massive successes of what they've done. It's been a massive improvement and and seamless at the same time. And Chris, just before we we wrap up, um, there was a few players went down with little niggles and stuff like that during the Brentford game. Joe Linton was down at one point. Joe Willock appeared to get a whack in the face as well. Is there any uh, injury casualties going forward from that match? The players are being assessed, and, and and there will be this week. I mean, Joe Linton's had a few injury problems. Obviously, he was he was he hasn't missed any games, but he went off just before the international break and didn't train very much du- during that international break before before returning. Joe Willick also has been playing a lot of the season with a few injuries. I mean, just just the what Newcastle have expended over the course of the last few weeks, and that's why, as you say, the squad will need to be used, and that's why having someone like Bruno Gomerish and and, and even Sean Longstaff in reserve is is is, is encouraging going into these matches because I think that they will use the squad. House already said that, and that's when I think you're going to see a lot more of of Bruno going forward. So I haven't got a specific on whether they'll be missing or anything like that, but Howe didn't seem too concerned after the match, but basically they will be assessed this week and then they'll they'll make a call because the physicality of the the, the physicality and athleticism of the midfield is what's been so impressive. And so if they were to lose mm. a little something, I don't think you would risk too many players. Maybe Joe Linton because he likes to have that big physical presence. But I think if if the players are on the limit, then I think you will start to rest a few of them over the course of the next few weeks. 
Fair play. Um, and Chris, have you got any plans to appear on the BBC any, again soon? Uh, I only ask because you've been tweeting them constantly throughout this entire recording. Has he? Is this not enough for you? Where's your focus, Chris? What are you playing at? tweeting the I've BBC. Do we have I to be tweeted. I've retweeted. Do, do we have to keep an eye on you during these during these recordings and keep you on the street? Do you know narrow? what Taylor? He was he was on he was on Football Focus on Saturday, right? Now, okay, to give him credit, he was very very good. He was only on that. They asked me first, by the way, of course and I couldn't did. do yeah. it, so I suggested yeah. they go to him. And then they asked me and he's second, been on and the I couldn't B- do it. So, <laughs> and he's and he's been on the BBC today. He's this takeover has gone right to his head. It has. He's a different they heard person. Me singing and they wanted his on so. <laughs> right, okay. You'll be on the one show next week sitting on the couch. Chris Chris Woff's debut album. <laughs> I wish I wish I wish you were the mass singer. <laughs> Fantastic Not stuff. Sure if that makes sense. Oh god. Oh Chris, I'm gonna have to rethink our date to the Northeast Football Writers Awards next week if you continue with this prima donna diva attitude. I'm really, really unimpressed. Well, George is too big time for that, so he's not even going, so he is. Yeah. Ah, right, okay. Well, um, speaking of awards, um, our recording schedule might be slightly affected next week, so bear with us. We usually record on a Monday tea time, and some of our team will be attending the Sports Journalism Awards, uh, where we've been nominated in the Best Audio Documentary category. Uh, And that's for the Sound of Football episode uh, that we made last August. If you haven't heard that, uh, please do scroll back in the podcast feed and check it out, because it is bloody brilliant. Uh, And George uh, and our intrepid producer, Ollie, did a magnificent job on it, and quite rightly, uh, they've been nominated for this award. um, the, that episode was also nominated for a Sports Podcast Award, which is a public vote as well. So to register and vote, head to uh, www.sportspodcastawards.com uh, and you can register and vote for that episode. Also, don't forget our special offer. At the minute, you can get a subscription to The Athletic with your first six months at just £1 a month at The Athletic dot com forward slash newcastle pod right then chaps any other business before we go or is everybody happy with that uh, yeah very happy mm, i don't think i've got anything else to add at this point nothing else to add at this point okay well there you go no. that's good uh that's it for this week thanks very much for listening we'll be back next week after brighton chris and george thank you very much for your time we shall speak to you soon look after yourselves take care out there from pod on the time tatty bye It was a fantastic moment, George, wasn't it? The Jolinaissance is complete, isn't it? <laughs> Say that again. The Jolinaissance. The Jolinaissance. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Love that. Jolinaissance. Jolinaissance. All right. Jolinaissance. 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 That's different altogether. Jolinaissance. Do that again, man. An absolutely smashing moment that, wasn't it, George? Brilliant. The Jolinaissance. The jo- oh, fuck, I can't even say it now. <laughs> Fucking... <laughs> A fantastic moment, George, celebrating with the fans. You have to say the Joel Innocence is complete, isn't it? Do you mean the Joel Innocence? I said that the first time, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I'm going back to Joel Innocence. I prefer that. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 